assignment is not an easy one in our history because of the type of message that the Lord wants me to share with you. I was trying really hard to find a women-specific message, but rather I find I find that the Lord, um, what He wants me to share with you is, I believe, a message for the church in general, but um, God wanting me to share, God having me share this with you, um, indicates that He has a plan and a purpose. So why don't you go with me to Esther? We'll start reading from um, verse 12. For verse 12, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, Relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my mates will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 29. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 29. The people of the land practice extortion and commit robbery. They oppress the poor and needy and mistreat the aliens, denying them, denying them justice. I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land, so I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. We ask you, Lord, we thank you for your presence among us. And we ask you that as this word goes forth, Father God, that we will receive it. And Holy Spirit, that you will plant this word and that this word might find good and fertile soil. So Father God, that it might bring forth fruit in its due season. 
Father God, you have sent your word. You're sending your word with a purpose. And we pray that it will do just that. Holy Spirit, I pray. May, Lord, may your words, only your words, come from my lips. Yes, Father, help me, enable me to translate your heart to your people. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Women of God, it is from Genesis to Revelation, all throughout the word, uh, God makes sure, he, he reminds us time after time of the position and, and the place that he has given us, both in uh, creation and as, as his church, the body of Christ. From the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28, God says, when God created men, the Bible said, he blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over or have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. And over every living creature that moves on the ground. Am I right? Psalms 8, verse 4 to 8 says, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. A few verses down, he says, You made him a ruler over the works of your hand. You put everything under his feet. In Luke chapter 10, verse 19, when Jesus sends out 72 disciples, he says, I have given you authority to trample upon snakes and scorpions. You didn't hear that. In Luke chapter 10, verse 19, Jesus says, I have given you authority to trample upon snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy and nothing will harm you. Hallelujah. So when it comes to our place of authority, there is no discussion. As far as God's concerned, it's already settled. In Ephesians chapter, um, in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10, Paul says that it was God's intent that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6 says that God raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So as far as God's concerned, the matter is settled. So my sisters, please don't think low of yourself. God has elevated us and given us a place of authority. Amen. You didn't yeah. hear that? I said yeah. God has given us yeah. a place of authority. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Please don't look down on yourself. God has given us a place of authority. Why? Because he sees us as his co-laborers. He wants to work together with us to fulfill his plan here on earth. Am I right? Yes. God chooses us to work together with him to fulfill all that he wants to do here on the earth. Domain or dominion talks about absolute authority or absolute ownership. And God has given us that position. The sad thing is though that Many of us, and that oftentimes, the church 
even though we go around saying that we have been given the place of authority, you ask yourself, what do we do with this authority? And that is the question I place before you today. What are we doing with this authority? We all, all of us have the responsibility, every single one of us has the responsibility to somewhere, in some way, exercise this authority that has been given to us. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, you can write that down if you please. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As each part does its work. So every one of us, every single one of us has the responsibility to exercise this authority that has been given to us. When we look around us, though, it's sad to say that oftentimes the church fails at doing this. Now, one of the ways to exercise this authority is through intercession. And in the next few minutes, I'll try to explain and talk a little bit about intercession. See, many people get it all mixed up, prayer and intercession, intercessory prayer. They get it all mixed up. But it's not the same. See, prayer is, you know, I can pray, pray for myself to be blessed, pray for direction for, for my future and stuff like that, and even pray for someone else. But see, intercession is another level of prayer. <laughs> intercession is pleading on behalf of someone else. Intercession is pleading with God and saying, God, I step right in between you and that situation. Father God, do something on that person's behalf. It is identifying, making yourself one with a situation, with a crisis, with someone. Here we read the story. Let's go back to our story in Esther. We all know the story about Esther. Esther was an orphan and, and raised by, by her uncle. And becoming a young woman, she was, she was brought um, to the palace together with a bunch of other young women. Um, because the, the story goes that the king needed to, he wanted to choose himself another wife, a new wife. Long story short, she was chosen. All the while, all while this was going on, she kept her identity, her Jewish background, a secret. And we know about this evil man, Haman, that was around the king a lot, being one of the royal officials. And he came up with a brilliant plan one day to have all the Jews killed. Now, when, of course, the news got out and the Jews heard about it, everyone broke down, of course, and dressed themselves in rags and covered themselves with ashes. And one of these people, of course, was Esther's uncle himself, who covered himself with ashes and went about walking around in the city and up to the king's gate. Now, when Esther heard about this, she sent a messenger to her uncle, saying, Uncle, what's up? What's going on? So her uncle sends her a copy of the decree that had gone out in the kingdom, 
saying, giving permission to Haman. The king himself had signed this, that giving Haman permission to do whatever he pleased and get the Jews killed, kill the Jews. So, and he, he pleads for her, he said, please do something, go into the king's presence and plead on our behalf. And Esther sends back a message to him saying, basically, no, are you out of mind? Do you know that if I go into the king's presence uninvited, I can get killed? Don't you know? So when, when Mordecai finally gets Esther's answer, the, the uncle in him arises. And he says, baby girl, Baby girl, don't you know? Or do you think that because you are in the king's palace, that you of all the Jews will escape? He says, for if you keep silent at this time, this critical time, salvation will come from somewhere else, but you and your family will perish. My question to you is why do we keep silent? The devil comes into our churches, and as I said before, I feel that this is a message for the church in general. We, the devil comes into our churches, messes with our young people, and no one says anything. He comes and even attacks our pulpits, gets, he gets our men hooked on pornography. Nobody says anything. Do we even care anymore? Do we? Corruption in our government. Do we care? Crime in our streets. Does it do anything? God is looking for someone who can share his heart with. And in, in getting ready for this message, I said, God, why, why do you want this type of message? Why do you want me to share this type of message? But I, I get it now. He's just looking for someone to share his heart with. Anybody that will listen. Anybody that will listen. So what Esther's uncle does is that he reminds her that perhaps, Esther, perhaps you were called to royalty for such a critical time as this. People, people of God, we have been called to royalty for a purpose. While Esther was going around in her royal robe, her people was under threat. They were about to be killed. While we are having ourselves a good time in the presence of God, and there's nothing against that, people are dying. Our family members are dying without God. Will someone get mad enough to draw a line in the sand and tell Satan, enough is enough? Is there anybody we have been handpicked by God. We have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Honey, I've got news for you. It is not enough that we are in the palace. Once we are in the palace, we've got to let our presence count for something. I say that one more time. It is not enough that you are in the palace. Once you are in the palace, you've got to let your presence count 
for something. Esther realized a couple of things. In the first place, perhaps, her coming to the palace was not so much about her own well-being, but it was for the well-being of an entire nation. I'll say that one more time. Esther realized that perhaps her being in the palace was not so much about her well-being, but it was for the well-being of an entire nation. Did you hear me? Perhaps your call to royalty, perhaps you being saved, God, maybe God had in mind to save your entire family. Maybe he had in mind to transform your entire workplace. Maybe he had in mind to transform an entire city. Are you with me? Secondly, she realized that perhaps she was the last person standing between the decree that had gone out and the actual execution of that decree. The actual execution of the people of God. Perhaps she was the only one that could do something and change history, change the course of history. That is the role of an intercession. But I will come to that in a second. She also, she also realized, thirdly, that this situation, this situation, she was not able to, she was not going to be able to take this on by herself. She needed God. She needed God to help her. This, this situation was such that in her own power, even though she was in royalty and given a position of authority, it would demand God's intervention. People of God, we are dealing with situations all around us that demand God's intervention. And yet when God looks for someone to stand in the gap, he finds them. Fourthly, she realized that if she would keep quiet, if she would choose not to speak up, an entire nation would be wiped off the face of the earth. People of God, this place of royalty, God has called us to royalty for a purpose. One of the definitions for intercession is standing in between. An intercessor stands between God and the people. An intercessor positions himself between God's judgment and the people. An intercessor positions himself between the attacks of the enemy and the people. You didn't hear me. I said he positions himself between the attacks of the enemy, the threat of the enemy, the planned plots of the enemy, and the people. It's like an advocate. A very good example of this is found in, in, in Moses, Exodus chapter 33. Moses did this very effectively. Time after time he would go before God on behalf of the people. And say, God, please forgive these people. Forgive them. And you know, in, in chapter 32 of Exodus, we find a, a touching story where Moses, you know, they had made themselves a calf to worship, a golden calf to worship, and they would bow down and 
God got very mad and Moses got very mad about it. But then Moses goes back to God and he says, God, you're right, you're right, okay? You're right, you're right to be mad. You have every reason to punish these people. He says, but please forgive them. Please be merciful unto them, O Lord, please. And God, if you choose not to forgive these people, then blot out my name from the book of life. What Moses is saying, my life for theirs. Did you get that? Did you get that? How far are we willing to go? People of God, God is looking for someone who will come close enough to him to hear his heartbeat, to hear the cry of his heart. This morning as I was in prayer, I found that I had to repent of a lot of things like prayerlessness. Or sometimes God would lay someone on your heart and you would be like, oh, I'll pray about it later. Yeah, we'll see. You go get home from work or wherever. You're tired. And you go to bed like that. God wakes you up in the middle of the night. Oh, I'm too tired. And so on. Who will God find willing? All of us want the presence of God in our midst. Yet how much time do we spend during the week praying for our Sunday morning service? Pleading with God for His presence in our midst. They call us out to Sunday morning prayer, and yet so few of us, so few of us care. I said intercession is standing in between and urging and pleading on behalf of someone else. This is what the priest in the Old Testament used to do. A priest would go into the presence of God and make atonement on behalf of the people. Ask God for the forgiveness that he would forgive and be merciful unto his people. What does 1 Peter 2 and verse 9 say? 1 Peter 2 and 9 says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, or a people belonging to God. The Bible talks about a royal priesthood. We are priests. We're supposed, we're supposed to represent the people before the Almighty God. Maybe your family, your family will not admit it. Maybe your co-worker does not admit it. But they need us to make petitions on their behalf in the throne room. Uh, throne room. I'll say that one more time. That lost family member of yours, that co-worker of yours, this city, this nation, needs a people to represent them before the Almighty yes. God. Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. Hallelujah. Another definition for intercession is that hitting against something so much so that you progressively move. So you hit something so hard, 
so intense and so long to the place where you move, you begin moving stuff out of the way. That is intercession. We talk a whole lot about moving into the enemy's camp. People of God, when are we going to get mad enough to go into the enemy's camp, break barriers and say, give us back our young people. Give us back our men. When will we get mad enough? We, we all have people in our lives who need a breakthrough. We all have family members who need God to intervene. In Ezekiel chapter 22, the story we read, God was looking for a man who would stand in the gap. Why was there a gap? Why was there a gap in the wall? A wall talks about protection. Now there was a gap in the wall, and, and that chapter, Ezekiel 22, talks about Jerusalem's sin. And we see a list of things that was wrong in Jerusalem. The rulers of the land were guilty of bloodshed. There was idolatry. There was adultery. There was incest. There was unjust gain. False prophets were doing their thing. Even the priests were violating the law of God. Unrighteousness prevailed. The priests were teaching that there is no difference between clean and unclean. Oh my God. People of God, as we look at the church today, we will admit that many of these things are even in our pulpits today. That many of, of these things are in our midst today. God was looking for one person, one righteous person, who was willing to close up that wall, to keep his hand back from executing judgment on Jerusalem. One person, and he found none. What will it take for us to take up this responsibility, this royal priesthood, and go before the throne of God on behalf of loved ones, on behalf of our city, on behalf of this church, on behalf of the body of Christ in general. What will it take? Haven't we seen enough? The Bible says in Isaiah 65 and verse 7, No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you. People of God, what will it take? What will it take? The revival in Germany in the 18th century in a place called Herrenhut on the von uh, Sinsendorf was preceded by men and women, by a movement of prayer where men, women, and children would devote themselves to call on the name of the Lord. In that movement, 24 men and 24 women volunteered, and they, they initiated a prayer chain, and they would pray in teams of two people, and they every team would pray for one hour, so there would be ongoing prayer 24 hours a day, non-stop prayer. And this prayer chain continued for 100 years. And 
what they had purposed in their heart that when they would come together was that they would offer up thanksgiving. But one of the things was that they would present all the issues, all the cases, all the things that the people of God and people outside the church were struggling with. And they also realized that one of the purposes of their prayer meeting was to cover the church in protection. They would cover the church in such a way that it would be that that the church would have protection against the attacks of the enemy. Where are the prayer warriors today? Where are the prayer warriors today? I say that an intercessor, I said that an intercessor is one who positions himself between God and the people. One who positions himself between the enemy and the people. That's not easy enough. I believe God has to baptize us once again in a spirit of agony. Go with me to Nehemiah chapter 1. of God was living in exile and Nehemiah was one of them. Nehemiah chapter 1 In the month of Kislev, that's verse 1, in the 20th year while I was in the city citadel of Susa, Anani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish, Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For Sundays I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. People of God, we need to baptize again. We need to be baptized with the agony that God feels towards his church. You know, agony is deep, deep, deep pain, unexpressible pain. That is what and I believe the church and what God's call, what God's, what God's cry is, where are the people who dare to come close enough to me to hear my heart's cry and agonize on behalf of their nation, agonize on behalf of the church, agonize on behalf of those that the devil is dragging one by one into hell. Who will God the Bible says here that Nehemiah, he wept. He sat down and he wept. He was a broken man because of the broken condition of his country, of his nation, of his city. Who will God find? Like I said, there's this level of prayer, intercession. is a persistent prayer. A persistent prayer until God gives the breakthrough. Who remembers the story 
of this widow in the Bible who went before the judge, of which the Bible says that he didn't care about God, he didn't care about men. And yet we see that when this widow goes to God, goes to this judge time after time after time again, and asks this judge to grant her justice, to vindicate her, he says, you know what? You know, initially I didn't want to listen to her. But because she keeps coming back, because she keeps pounding, because she keeps asking, I have to grant Are we willing to go the extra mile, people of God? Are we willing? Jesus Christ himself is an excellent example of intercession. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 verse 34, Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 24 and 25 says, But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. We just talked about the, the example of Moses. Moses that would stand in the gap so much so that God at times would tell him, Moses, please get out of my way. Let me do my stuff. Let me do my thing. Let me kill these people. And Moses looked at God and said, uh-uh, not while I'm alive. You didn't hear that. And then Moses stood there and said, no, God, that's not going to happen. Not while I'm alive. Please hold back. Hold back. Hold back this execution of judgment. Hmm. John Knox, an example in church history, also known as the greatest reformer of Scotland. He would constantly carry the burden for Scotland on his heart. Night after night he would pray in his house. Lay flat on the floor he would cry out to God. When his wife would plead with him to get some sleep, he would answer, How can I sleep when my land is not safe? Oftentimes people would hear him cry, Lord, give me Scotland or I die. The rest is history. This man was used of God in a mighty revival and reformation in Scotland. John Hyde. An apostle, also known as the Apostle of Intercession of India. He would often cry to God and say, God, please give me these souls or I die. Hyde would lead conferences and conventions yearly. They had a yearly conference. And in 1904, he prayed to God. He said, and he announced in to the congregation, saying, I'm believing God for this year. For one soul a day. When they got together the next year, 365 people, you didn't hear that, 365 people had accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. In that conference, the year after, he announced, he said, I'm trusting God for two souls a day. You bet. The 
next year, 800 people had given their lives to Jesus. In the next conference, he said, I'm doubling it. I'm trusting God for four souls a day. And he crisscrossed all over India preaching the gospel and praying for lost souls. It is said, it is recorded, that on a day where there would be less than four comforts, he would not eat or sleep. So heavy was the burden on his heart. And yet again, people, I ask you, what do we do with our position of authority? There is the force in the church, and sad to say that the force rate within the church is equal to or even higher than the world. That should shake us. That alone is the reason to pray and seek God. So people of God, again I ask you, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? When John Hyde was coming to the end of his life, God gave him a vision. And towards the end of the vision that he wrote down and left behind, he writes that we must exercise the greatest care to be utterly obedient to him who sees all the battlefield all the time. It is only he who can put each man in the place where his life can count for the most. That is what I'm talking about today. That God has positioned each and every one of us in a place where our life can count for the most within our family, the workplace, this church, this city, this nation, God knew ahead why he would handpick you and bring you into the kingdom for such a time as this. People of God, God is calling us to pray until the works of the enemy in our midst are destroyed. Until people realize, until they realize that they, they have to live a holy life before the Almighty God. We have to pray until there is breakthrough. We have to pray. My question to you is when will we get sick enough of seeing our loved ones suffer, of seeing friends die without knowing Christ, of when we will we get sick enough of the crime in our streets and the corruption in our government? When will we get sick enough of immorality in our pulpits? When? God is calling us, my sister. God is calling us. God is calling us. Finally, my sister, granted that there are people who God has called to devote their entire life to intercession. But friends, all of us have loved ones. All of us know co-workers, even Christian friends who need an intervention from God in their life. We need to pray. We need to seek the face of God. And beg that what that one that God will once again return to his tabernacle. 
pray that God will once again return to his tabernacle, the church. The Bible says this well-known verse in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and seek my faith, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. The problem with Christianity is it has become so about us. We are so busy running behind the things that concern us, that are of concern to us, and we forget to listen to the things that concern God. God is looking for a people whose heart will break over the things His heart breaks about those things that he agonizes about. It comes at a sacrifice, though. The Bible says in John chapter 12, verse 24, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. We must be willing to
Lord, we have all failed. Jesus, we have all failed at one time. God, you would speak to us and we would not listen. You would look for someone who would stand in the gap and yet, Lord, we were not available. God, we were too busy, God, taking care of our own business, going after our own gain, while people around us were dying without you. Why our loved ones were being dragged to hell one by one, one by one, one by one. Your church lies in ruins, Lord. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 10 to 12. If you falter in times of trouble, how small is your strength? Rescue those being led away from death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay each person according to what he has done? People of God, wouldn't it be sad that in our failing to rescue those that are being dragged to hell, we ourselves miserable. How sad would that be? While we've been in church for so long, so many years, God is looking for someone, anybody, anybody. Most holy Yes, Lord, we repent. God, it's not about making an emotional decision right now. But Holy Spirit, we, we just want you to know that we want to be available to you. Yes, we want to get close to your heart to be able to hear your heartbeat, to be able to hear the cry of your heart. Oh, Lord. Let's 
Yes. Yes. Amen. Yes.
Oh, la 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 kasha. The enemy has caused separation, has caused division in this city, and the intercessors have been scattered, and they've been clogged up. And in the name of Jesus, I pray release to, to all those that intercede. In Jesus' name, that they be healed. There's been hurt ones that have been hurt. Lord, I pray healing. I pray deliverance for those that have been hurt by the body of Christ that have been misunderstood, that have been uh, misaligned. In Jesus' name, Lord, let your Holy Spirit come upon them. Holy Spirit of God, Holy Spirit of God, release intercession in this city. Thank you. 